Hi, I'm your host, Susan Nay. Welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out. It's a series designed to help you demystify HR and the human resource processes. We're going to talk about people management and get the goods on and see how all this stuff works. You're going to hear from everyday heroes and get their perspectives as we touch on a wide variety of topics, topics that impact us in our work and in our work environments. You'll find nuggets for your treasure chest of learning. Hopefully you'll discover insights for your personal and your professional growth. I'm glad you're here. I suspect it's because you want to be the very best version of yourself, your personal best, and that you get understanding these systems and processes will help you on your journey, on your path. You ready to dare to soar? Want to join me at flight school? Let's do this. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out. I'm your host, Susan Nay. We're very fortunate today to have as a guest on today's session, Tracy Lee Lawrenson of Paragon Strategic Services. She's gonna help us demystify personality profile tools. Why they're sometimes used in our recruitment processes and sometimes more broadly within our organizations, how they can help you personally and what we must be careful about when when we're using them. Before we begin, Tracy, thank you for joining me today. Before we start, I'd like to share a little bit about you and your background, if that's okay. So first of all, Tracy's worked with elected officials and local government managers in a variety of capacities for more than 25 years. She's practiced workplace law on behalf of public sector clients. She's been executive VP for Ecom, and Ecom's a provider of 911 fire, police, and ambulance services for local governments in Southern BC. She's currently the principal in the management consulting firm, Paragon Strategic Services Limited, where she works with boards and councils to establish strong governance cultures and she helps in resolving conflicts. She and her firm also work with management teams and elected officials across the country on leadership training, good governance, strategic planning, accountability, conflict resolution and Council CAO matters such as performance and recruitment. She's an award-winning speaker, a consultant, and a sought-after lecturer. An impressive (laughs) overview. (laughs) We're very lucky to have you here. Thank you. You and I have gone back a number of years, uh, initially to develop the Maddie Managing uh, People Program. And that's a collaborative effort between the Local Government Management Association and Kaplan University. I think it's been over a decade, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, at least that. And uh, I've been a fan of your work when, as an HR professional as well, even back you know, before we worked together on Maddie. So I'm so excited to be on this. And thank you for inviting me. Thank you. And you're too kind. Now, in the Maddie program, you contribute a really critical piece that participants are asked to uh, to uh, do (laughs) before they start the program and that's the completion of a a personality profile can you share a little bit about why this is so important and it's really contributed to the entire program uh, in a lot of different ways Uh, can you just you you yeah yeah. I I, so I really enjoy being able to kick off that Maddie and 
you know, I wonder if all of your listeners may not even know what that is. It's the Municipal Administrators Training Institute, and it's got a program that Susan's integrally involved in around managing people. And so I get to start it off. And the approach of using an assessment or a profile at the start, Susan, is really focused that if you're going to talk about managing people, people have to first understand themselves. So leadership starts with an awareness of how you naturally prefer to interact, you know, in terms of, you know, being a team member, being an employee or being a manager. And so having some insight into your natural strengths. And you'll notice that I really focus on the strengths because I think that we sometimes as adults focus on the 5% that isn't super awesome instead of leveraging the 95. And a lot of adults don't have language around their superpowers. We, we get you know, hyper-conscious of not talking about what we're great at. And one of the things that a good assessment can do is give you a language around your strengths. And so starting off on the Maddie program, what it allows them to do is almost to sort of hang some, some hangers in their own closet. So hmm. those of us that are direct, we may need in the feedback session to apply that differently than somebody who's naturally very reserved. But if people don't understand where there's unique and unique in a good way, mm -hmm. um, it, it makes it hard to frame learning. So I, I think most learning ideally should start with some form of assessment about where are you now in order to be able to have stickiness of what yeah. you're getting. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's where, um, it also is kind of fun to learn a bit about yourself. People like to hear supportive feedback about themselves and um, it loosens up people who are talking about giving feedback to others. Receiving feedback is a bit of a skill as well. And so that, that's where I thought when we designed the program, starting with them and then starting to layer on the skills they apply to others. Interesting. And I, I know when I've used it in different organizations, often people are quite surprised by their results. In fact, I recall one director taking it home and, and his wife saying, oh, my God, yes, that's you. Have mm -hmm. you had people quite surprised that, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the blind side of us that uh, people are not aware of within their personalities? Yeah, um, I think more importantly, and the reason why I keep using the profile I use is more often I hear, oh my gosh, that's totally me. And there's, there's usually laughter where people go, oh, I've heard that before. Um, I think the interesting thing, and I, what I love about what you've just said, Susan, is the importance of self-awareness not just happening at work. So we do really encourage people to bring it home. And even in our team sessions, we often offer a complimentary profile for people's significant others. Because that, that dialogue around, you know, learning how you naturally prefer to interact and using that information to make a decision to choose your response to things. And that's really the, the highest use of an assessment is mm -hmm. it takes a snapshot of how you'd respond if you didn't choose. But that's most people that are evolved as leaders are already choosing their reaction. They're not mm -hmm. a one trick pony, but you can't manage something you're not aware of. And so that um, sort of stepping, you know, looking in the mirror, you know, um, you can leave the piece of, you know, parsley in your, in your teeth, but if you don't know it's there, um, how do you know to do that? Yeah. So 
Yeah. You know, that's so, so sometimes people are a little surprised. They're also surprised by how different the others on their team often are. I, I recall exactly that when a, a full team, an executive team did it. And um, it was more the, I think the insights tool that was used and yep. people who uh, were green, who were in positions that one would, you know, and we'll talk about the stereotyping of you yeah. think maybe a, a red energy. Um, have you, just before we get into that, um, have you ever had anyone contact you afterwards to say how much using a, a profile such as the tool that you use uh, has significantly and positively impacted their life, perhaps their relationship with with others on their team or their family members? Um, during sessions and after sessions, because people feel seen a bit, especially when a team has a fairly, you know, we talk a lot about diversity. And I know, Susan, you're, that's something you're passionate about. Um, but we talk often about diversity in terms of ethnicity, gender, age. We don't talk about behavioral diversity in the same ways. And you know, I was working with an RCMP um, civilian group out of, um, you know, th that was supporting the RCMP. Mm -hmm. and the majority of them were naturally nurturers and supporters. And they had one person who was much more task oriented. And for her, it was nice to feel even as different as she was from the team. Frankly, she was a really important person on that mm -hmm. team because their performance, you know, the more diverse the team is behaviorally, very much like other forms of diversity statistically yep. the higher performing they're going to be but the more diverse the team is the higher yep. the propensity for conflict so yes. this really allows us not to tolerate diversity but to recognize that we should be finding it that that a similar group um you know can be comfy mm -hmm. but that very comfort may not be the same as high performing and so i think this benefit of you know particularly for outliers you know, for people that may not be sort of the natural and governments are getting much more diverse, you know, and, and this work mm -hmm. is, you know, that we're, that we were doing was with local governments. That's my market. Um, so I think that that's the other thing that's interesting. And you talked about stereotyping. Do you mind if I just comment a bit on that? No, it'd be nice and nice because what I'd like to move into is when they're, when these are used within organizations and right. I was helping consult in an organization that had all employees do this and had little yeah. blocks of what their primary colors were and I know in our quick conversation you said that that may not be the best thing to do so perfect timing yeah you talk about that. stereotyping I think that we can sometimes especially if we're wanting to move up in an organization so let's talk about that so I'm in a high performer I meet somebody brand new to an organization and I look at the leader and I think hmm they're this way is that the way I have to act in order to advance or lead in this community. And the best example I can give Susan is I do a lot of work with protective services, so fire departments. Mm -hmm. And I think we can agree that generally we want whoever shows up on scene on a fire to put the wet stuff on the hot stuff, you yep. know, in the same way. You know, yep. the way that work operates is quite systemized. There's processes, protocols, um, the incident command model. So, you know, we don't want it all freewheeled. You know, you just do you when people show up at a fire scene. But what's been interesting, Susan, is even in that heavily um, systemized sector, leadership, successful fire leadership represents every possible behavioral style. And if it can represent that kind of diversity in something that's systemized. So we've got the command and control. Style, mm -hmm. you know, that we, we sort of, you know, command presence, which 
you know, was the old school way of what a fire chief, for example, looked like, you know, yep. Yep. booming voice and, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. but what, what we now see is that in the fire service, we've got people that are very drawn to the collegiality and they mm -hmm. really leverage that strength or to the traditions and the structure and that very rules or to the fact that there's stability in it, that they, that they know their scheduling. Like there's, there's so many different behavioral types that can succeed. And I think that it's important to realize that and to create a vision of leadership that isn't just you know, one single style or the way it was done. And that's where tools like this can sometimes address that bias that whoever fills the job has to look like the previous. Or well, it really goes back to that self-knowledge yep. of, of knowing that, you know, you've got to, I think they used to use the term like pull your red up you know, in a situation where you needed to be directional and using situational leadership, yeah. that each situation you need to build your comfort in what is this particular situation going to require um, to handle it effectively. Exactly. That, so, and yeah, that, that ability to adapt is one of the messages. And it's interesting, Susan, it's one of the reasons why, and you and I've talked briefly about this, I don't love the use of labels. I don't love the use of red and yellow because I just think people are a little more complicated. And that, I mean, that works well for consultants because mm -hmm. we can sort of, you know, give people blocks to put on their desks. But um, somebody who's very direct and very, um, very, you know, who, who really leans into interpersonal relationships is significantly different than somebody who's very direct and data oriented. So the red is one bit of it, which, yeah. which generally for those listening is generally associated with being more direct. So um, I, for example, you know, I'm a lawyer by training, guess who's comfortable in conflict. And mm -hmm. just maybe if, if I might, Susan, just pause for a moment and give a sense about what do these profiles even tell, like the one that we're talking about. Really yeah, that's actually, yeah, we should probably step back a little bit and and uh, talk a little bit about the profiles. So the profile that, that Susan and I are talking about, um, the one I use is built on what's called a DISC assessment, D-I-S-C. No you know, magic to that, but I, Susan mentioned insights, colors, they all build on the same methodology. They're just different brand names for the same thing. But essentially what it does is gives insight into an individual's approach to conflict, the D, dominance, the I is interpersonal or influence, the S is steadiness, how do people deal with change? And the C is compliance, how do people deal with rules? And really, if you look at conflict, most things are a breakdown of expectations on any one of those things. And where I think it's interesting, Susan, and, and frankly, the reason I've chosen the tool that I use is it's more descriptive versus labels. And the reason is, is that I have seen, um, and I know that this is a question you and I have talked about, about some of the risks of this, yeah. is sometimes it becomes a little bit weaponized. Well, I'm just a red, deal with it. Yeah. Instead of it being descriptive and therefore... Um, you know, you, you, you have a real choice about is this a, a situation where I should be leaning into it or stepping back? And there are some risk factors with different predispositions. So I think that's important to talk about. Um, but that's, those are the sorts of areas where, you know, what's a situation where being more direct might be useful? Or what's a situation where exploring all options before you step into a conflict might be more beneficial yeah. and leaning into that ambiguity that the, the big gray middle is really where the richest learning comes from is, um, you know, 
what, what lever is best to pull? And realistically, how apt am I to be effective at that? Even when I think I'm being subtle, I'm still a lot for people because <laughs> I'm very direct. So, so knowing that means that I have to be really conscious about leading with kindness if I'm going to be direct. Not to be less direct, yes. but to be really conscious that if I'm throwing a ball to somebody, it's not how hard I can throw. Yeah. It's how able are they to catch that. And yeah. I think in interpersonal dynamics, it's not only reading ourselves, but also having a bit of sense of audience. And I think that's where it can be effective. Uh, and I've certainly seen it, um, you know, and again, where there, there's a physical piece, like the blocks on the desk with the, you know, the colors, uh, mm -hmm. or, you know, somebody's got their, their chart somewhere in their office, uh, of being a conversation point, and, and being able to talk about Oh, you know, and, and so, yes, you know, I was surprised at that or, or yeah, that's me. Um, mm -hmm. And being a little bit more aware uh, yeah. when, when initiating dialogue with somebody who um, we all already have an intuitive sense of probably whether they're more directive or someone who likes to socialize a little bit before you get mm -hmm. into, you know, what you're going to be talking, talking to, um, to them about with the consulting that you do, do you tend to use the, uh, the tools that you have available to you? This is a tool that I use a lot. And I, and I think it's important not to be, you know, like I've got a hammer and I'm running around looking for nails. But in most of the situations that I use, starting with individuals, you know, I, do, I deal with some fairly acute conflict situations. Mm -hmm. um, I also do a lot of governance work. And one of the things that I like to start with is, is individuals. So for example, when I do governance work or orientations for newly elected officials, I use exactly the same tool oh. as I use with public works teams or mm -hmm. fire departments or aquatics teams. And that's one of the reasons why I like it is um, you got to watch your woo a bit with some of your markets. Yes. yes. You know, like as, as HR folks, um, I love the sort of self-assessment. I love the learning, but you know, energy language can be really, um, marginalizing. And, yep. you know, so what I, what I like about the tool that I use is it's got language that is approachable regardless of the sector. Um, so it doesn't talk about energy flows in, you know, in some ways it may not be quite as effective as some of those that do that really effectively. Mm -hmm. But for me, I focus on the receptiveness of the tool to the individual receiving it. And um, so I use it with councils. I use it in management training. I use it in customer service training because similar to what we talked about with why do we start Maddie with this? Mm -hmm. Similarly, when you do customer service training in local governments, understanding your natural approach to a customer is yes. important to having, you know, to being able to adapt around difficult customers or you know, some people like process. Um, use it in coaching. You know, I, I do um, coaching of CAOs and council and elected officials. And then finally, we do it online through Civic Excellence. We, um, we give an opportunity. For example, if we do a workshop, it's often useful. People, as you say, roll it out throughout the organization. But then what do you do to the person who gets hired, you know, two weeks after you've rolled it all out? So we also have this available online where individuals can take it or ah, perfect. where teams can sign up, like can buy a, you know, bundle of them. But you know, that's, that's generally um, 
it, it has a really, um, first of all, it's fun is the other thing. Like, I know yeah, that sounds yeah. weird, but it's just, you know, and you've been in the Maddie program, it's a bunch of laughs just when people sort of realize, oh, um, <laughs> that that's sort of, you know, how I naturally prefer. Um, so I, I think anytime you can help people learn in an environment that is um, enjoyable. The other thing I think is really important is, um, we as HR professionals have to be cautious to remember that people feel far more vulnerable in these things than we sometimes remember. So oh, definitely. You know, never, it's never silly. It's never embarrassing. It's not which duck are you. It's not, um, you know, really creating safety for gradual self-awareness for people that may not be, you know, plugged into that as sort of their jam. Oh, it's, it's, it can be quite frightening, especially when, you know, a team has their dots, you know, posted in, in, you know, sort of their, their world. Yep. And knows what, what their, you know, what their profile looks like. Yeah. Especially if they're, you know, quite private people. Um, So when, when you engage the use of the profile tool, do you seek, uh, does, does, do people have to give their permission? Um, How do you go about making sure the people's comfort level? Um, everybody only gets their own report. This is the way I roll it out. Other people might do it differently, but I've found that that's just the most respectful way is that individuals only get their report. And even in a debrief session, they only share what they're comfortable sharing, but we start with sharing their strengths and the report that we use really does talk about what's their value to the organization. That's one of the first few pages. And so talking about, you know, why the city of, you know, XYZ is lucky to have Susan Mm-hmm. you know, and, and you get to choose something off your page. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but the other thing is we don't run team reports because each of these can be run as a team report. We do ask for consent to do that at the okay. end of the workshop. And I've not had anybody, you know, they certainly would be free to, and we could run the report without them. One of the things that's a little different in the way I do this, Susan, is often these workshops are held to fix somebody like me. You know, there's courses on how to deal with me and they're called dealing with difficult people, you know, because I'm direct. And when I get excited, I interrupt and I can be a lot, you know, the, the, so quite often the high reds in an organization are the reason why a workshop like this is being held. And so the one thing that I can bring to an organization is safety to be that and um, a little bit of insight into how to be a high contributor in a productive, healthy way. But the other piece that's really important is everyone is someone else's difficult person. So, you know, quite often the, you know, the, the big people get called out. Um, but for me, a difficult person is somebody yes. who doesn't speak up given an opportunity. Yes, yes. You know, just, that's, just that's this really notion point. That, that, yeah. that we're all imperfect people trying to do good things but that we've got to, first of all, be really cautious about imputing motive onto behavior. Yes. You know, and, and that's one of the things that this demystifies is that people are just being them. You know, my, I always chuckle when somebody says they're just doing that to bug me because for the most Why? part, who's got time? Yeah. Like, yeah. They're literally trying to get through their day. Yeah. No, those are really good points. Going back to the diversity aspect, you know, where a team... Um, is actually seeking to in, to ensure that diversity. Any tips on on what organizations can do using these tools to um, to to help make that mix actually happen for them? 
So great question, first of all, and I think it's a little bit multi-layered. I don't like this, I don't like DISC tools, Colors, Insights, or My Tool for recruitment itself, um, only because it's not validated for specifically that purpose. And there are, you know, selection tools that can do that. What I think is important is first of all, recognizing that diversity is useful, starting with that, you know, and, and behavioral diversity, just putting that into the same dialogue mm -hmm, around mm -hmm. diversity. So if we've got a lot of really conservative, quiet people, maybe we do need somebody to sort of drive performance a little quicker you know, yeah, a lot of a lot of objections in local government, for example, to people moving too slowly. And I think the reasonable question is, do you move too slowly? Mm, yes. You know, like just like somebody who's going to ask the differential or are we moving too quickly in a risk comfortable group? So I think the first thing this can do is sort of say we as a team are very heavily weighted on these skills. What if we didn't look for something that was exactly like those? What if fit mm -hmm. wasn't comfortable fit? What if fit was contribution fit? So really those, those you'd use different interview well, questions and yeah um, and you'd yeah. look for somebody who you know but i would do that more through behavioral based interviewing questions yeah. once you've decided yeah. you want it yeah. and then onboarding this is a great tool where the manager shares their report and yes. so let's say that you were onboarding me or i let, let, i'll change it. i was onboarding you i'm not i don't have great antenna so I don't sort of like, I don't pick up feelings. So when I, if I was onboarding you, Susan, and you were somebody who was highly relational, mm -hmm. it would be helpful for me to share my report and say, please don't feel like I don't care if I don't pick up on what, but please do come talk to me. That would if be, you, oh, can you imagine what our work environments would look like? Well, if, yeah, if what if it started strong? Actually, yeah, if bosses actually communicated, this is how language. I like to be. Yeah, how I like this is this is something you're gonna have to watch with me. Yep. You know, um, this is just some of the core of who I am. Yeah. Um, and I can and try to work best. on it, but I'm not great, you know, like Yeah, well, for all of us, but you know, yeah. if, if that could be modeled by by the people that we report to, um, then it it, it tends yeah. to ripple through the organization. And I, what I really like about um your recruitment question as well is that. We also need to realize when in management training that managers cannot be six different things to six different direct reports. And so creating some language where a manager feels safe to share, here's my natural behavioral style. Um, and, and the reality is, is that we have to adapt around our, our coworkers. So, yeah. you know, this notion of, um, you know, we can't have sharp corners, you know, we, we talk a lot about respect in the workplace, but we also have to talk about resilience, that when we go to work and get paid, there are some behavioral quirks that people are going to demonstrate that might not be what we design. But, mm -hmm. you know, our paycheck is part of what takes those edges off, you know, um, and, and just that that um, kindness about people being different. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Fabulous points. Have you ever done an assessment on yourself? Oh, I love assessments. Um, and I, I've even done, you know, the one that I use, um, I've done a, a number of times, um, just, you know, even as the tool improves and sort of new reporting comes mm -hmm. out. Um, one of the things that, that I like about this tool and why I've kept using it is it doesn't actually change significantly over time, which is a form of validity, is that, um, you know, it, it's interesting. What, what I like about this tool, Susan, and you and I have worked together long enough is the skills that made me successful as a lawyer are not the same skills that made me successful as a manager or 
an HR professional, mm -hmm. I really had to adapt. And so a tool like this really helped me put language around, you know, being fast, right, and smart, um, kind of what you want your lawyer to do. You know, you don't want them to be a, you know, consultative, you know, but those same things were not exactly how people describe an exceptional leader of people. So I really learned a lot from self-assessments because we tend to think other people are more like us than is the case. Yes. And so understanding that, because the, the tool I use shows that not only am I very comfortable in conflict, but I'm off the charts comfortable in conflict. So it's not just whether you're red or not, you know, yes. the, it's the, the, degree. the degree is huge. Because yeah. yeah. if you're sort of near the midpoint, meh, it probably isn't a defining characteristic, but mm -hmm. a tool that shows how far you are off of the statistical norm. First yeah. of all, it points out your superpower. You know, the yes. further away you are, the more that that's something other people don't find easy. Yes. Whether it's facts and data, you know, if you're really yeah. Yeah. good at facts and data, you know, hopefully you're leveraging that strength. Yes, yes. Um, but we sometimes don't know. We think that what we find easy, other people do. And so and that, that's interesting because I know a lot of the tools end up uh, measuring your ideal self and yourself as you are presenting in the work environment. Yeah. And where there's great discrepancy between the two, that people are often going to find themselves exhausted and burning out. Because as you say, you're, you're having to apply components of yourself that aren't your superpowers. Yes. You're having to pull up, you know, your uh, attention to detail when you're not necessarily a detail-oriented person. Well, it's such a good point. And I think that one of the things that becomes important is to recognize that um, first of all, you know, I'm not great with attention to detail. I can't just like sort of go, hey, that's just me, deal with it. I, you know, obviously to be successful, I have to pay attention to detail. But it's also about looking at how systems help us. You know, if we know that, you know, I could take um, time management courses till I was blue in the face and I'd still be only mediocre versus looking at um, what are the ways that I make that not impede team success? And how do, first of all, I have to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think that that's a really good point because what we want to do is ideally, you know, what you're describing, that sort of adaptive behavior, the more people can be their natural selves at work, the less additional stress they have. And, you know, I work with local governments and there's a lot of stress on local government employees coming from the outside. The more that we don't do it to each other inside yes. and we sort yes. of let people be, you know, even with their weird foibles where we just, you know, we got to learn to let some stuff go. Not everything that bugs us needs to be fixed. Yes. And um, then also giving people language to ask for something different. I'll give you an example on that if I can, Susan. Absolutely. You know, um, employees getting feedback. Um, I'm somebody who's very direct. Okay, that's super awesome, but not great to receive that feedback if it's something that you know is developmental, for example. So giving employees the language to ask for a different relationship with their supervisor. Like, I would prefer, Susan, that if you're giving me feedback, would you be willing to give me a heads up in advance so that I can put some thought into it? Or can we have two meetings so that I can put some, because sometimes I don't feel like I think quickly enough. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because I might be a deep thinker, not a fast thinker. And so the ability to say, even in an awkward meeting, you know, thank you for that feedback, Susan. Um, do you mind if we come back to this tomorrow so I can have some time to think about it? And giving even frontline employees 
the permission to ask for what they know would be would would fit with them better um that that changes everything like what if people could self-manage earlier in their careers you know and i i think having yeah oh um, absolutely and i think having these you know the insights about you know how to how to do that yeah i I just i'm concerned about the significant disengagement you know the 75 percent of the canadian workforce is disengaged and and you know some of what we're talking about is the why you know not not being able to have these really rich valuable you know my needs are important to conversations in a very um respectful manner with with team members well, yes, exactly. Now, one of the things that's really important as well is the profile that we're talking about, this DISC assessment that talks about behavior, is really, it doesn't talk at all about why people do things. And there's a partner tool that we use that talks about motivators. Um, so, so like, there's sort of, you've got to be really careful when you're using a tool about what specifically is it used for. So this is really behavior-based. So you and I, for example, Susan, might both go to get a, we might go in to get a master's degree. Mm-hmm. you might do it because you love learning and I might do it because I just want to make more money. Like why people do things also matters, particularly mm-hmm. around motivation and separating those two and, and acknowledging that they're different. Um, and, and the tools around motivation aren't used as fully as I think they should be just so that people can say, you know, I'm really motivated by social connection. I'm really motivated by, you know, some people are really motivated by return on investment, you know, not necessarily more money, but efficiency of time use. Um, and so understanding, you know, using assessments for motivations is a really good partner sort of, uh, or second stage to add on to behavior. Um, so as part of your consulting work, do you offer that to your clients? Yeah, it's, it's something that we, we don't do first. The behavior one, just people see such line of sight between how they've answered and what they get, that it's just, it's a real safe, sort of introduction to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you actually can run that with the motivators. Um, but quite often what we'll do is sort of six months later, we'll go back to a team and do the motivators bit. Um, then they also, you know, there, there's incremental trust building. You know, when somebody yes. fills out a profile, um, that's a level, and you started by saying that, Susan, a level of vulnerability. And so building their confidence, not just in the tool, but in the use of the tool. Um, before they start to talk about what really matters to them is sometimes helpful. You had mentioned earlier in our call and in our talk today that um, there are individual um, packages, team packages that are available through you. If If an individual wanted to take a look at doing this with you, can you give me an approximate cost that somebody should would be looking at? Yeah, we've got... Um, We've got an online, through Civic Excellence, which is our online um, learning portal, um, we've got a video debrief, you know, the, the assessment and then a video debrief of me explaining what it means to folks. Oh, and perfect. Yeah, so, so it sort of walks them through the report and how they might use it. Um, and that, you know, is 149. And if you want, Susan, you know, to, to provide a coupon for, you know, folks that are listening, I could certainly do something for your listeners to oh, reduce that'd be that wonderful. cost. Um, this we do, you know, like with the Maddie program over Zoom, you know, at the time of recording this, we're still in COVID lockdown, so people aren't getting large groups together. But it is actually a tool where I've been surprised through the Maddie Zoom delivery, 
how effective online has been at you sort of people are a little more comfortable receiving feedback in the comfort of their own office or home and um but the other thing is, is that, you know, we also, as part of a workshop or when organizations roll it out through the organization, the costing becomes much more affordable, just, you know, with bulk orders and that sort of thing. So, because you know, obviously that can be prohibitive rolling it out through an organization um, yeah. that may and not I, have the budget for that. Um, and I'm assuming that, you know, if it's an individual or a small group, it's not just the completion of the profile, but it would be time with you and just understanding what the results yeah, so yeah, um, generally I debrief in real life. Um, and you highlighted a point is people do reach out after the fact, you know, it's, it's one of the things that I love about being in this business is getting the call saying, I'm struggling a little bit with this. Um, and the trust that somebody demonstrates when they reach out for help is something that I just am so appreciative of. I just, it, um, I know that sometimes people worry about asking for help you know, when they feel that their communication isn't quite syncing with their peers. And that's really where individuals often benefit from this is, you know, even individual elected officials, you know, will reach out and say, I'm, I'm struggling to be heard by my colleagues. Mm. You know, I just don't feel that my, my voice at the table is properly heard. And um, this is a tool that can sometimes give them some insight, even absent everybody else around the table. Um, you know, doing that. And, and I think the more that we lean into, um, you know, again, just taking a snapshot about our natural selves and then saying, does it fit into the context as appropriately? Um, or would I benefit from adapting slightly? Or can I ask for others to adapt around me in some way? Um, yeah, and I just, I just maybe remember, sometimes when you've got a good understanding and you uh, like partnering an individual with, with, uh, a director with a manager who's got completely different skills so that they complement one another. And um, um, just some of the knowledge that some of these provide. You have talked a little bit about civic excellence. Could you share a bit more about uh, what civic excellence is and maybe a little bit more um, about your organization? Yeah. So Paragon is really the consulting arm. So that's where, uh, you know, folks will hire me to go in and do, you know, conflict resolution or governance training, leadership training, frontline customer service training. But what I recognized about three and a half years ago is that so many local governments just can't afford to hire experts, uh, fly them in, that, that they're the smallest communities that we work with have the same needs and less resources than the biggest communities. And so civic excellence was designed as a community of communities, a place for communities to connect, um, e-learning, um, and not just from us. We've got, I think, 24 courses in there. Um, time management for local governments. And it's really, our, our platform is focused on public sector, mainly local government. Time management is a skill that's important outside of local governments. Just the examples and the context is um, specific to the sector. Um, we've got experts that are building, you know, for example, I'm not somebody who's an expert on economic development. So we've got an economic development expert building out courses in that area. You know, meeting management, Ellie Mina has, you know, offered programs mm -hmm. on our site. So what we really recognize is that, um, it's almost like a mutual fund. If you can go to civic excellence and mm -hmm. know that you're going to get good training, you don't have to source sort of one by one different courses. The other thing that we are offering Susan is a membership so that frontline employees can, you know, choose which of the 20 some courses matters to them that month. 
They don't necessarily have to, because you know, in HR, the challenges is that you offer a course and some people need it, some people don't, and different people need a different yes, course. But yes. what, you know, even the best HR professionals can't manage all those variables simultaneously. So giving access to on-demand training, um, you know, from people who get the sector is yeah. really where civic excellence comes from. So I'm so, super excited about it because we did this well before the pandemic, you know, creating this sort of blended Zoom calls, e-learning um, assessments. There's a lot of assessments on there, you know, change management assessments, customer service skills assessments. So people can really learn about them, which, I mean, who doesn't like to talk about themselves? <laughs> So if somebody was not in the local government sector or regional yep. government sector, can they still access the resources? I, I will say that all of the resources might be useful. The, the profile we're talking about is 100% useful. Mm -hmm. This one is absolutely not specific to local governments. Um, but anybody interested in doing that, they could certainly reach out to civicexcellence.com. We've got a chat in the bottom corner and could ask about that. Okay. You know, we, we would want to make sure that, um, but, but it's a good, it's a good foundational, you know, so if you're looking for a quick time management course for somebody or uh, project management, conflict are, resolution. Yeah, things yeah. that are not necessarily local government specific. It's, the two and, big courses there are our supervisory skills for local governments and our customer service skills for local governments. And those are ones that are, especially the customer service, it is a different animal in the governmental sector. You know, it's not, do you want fries with that today? We don't necessarily want repeat business back to our, you know, <laughs> you know our tax, you know, defaulters. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But those, those are ones that I wouldn't recommend that people in other sectors consider. Okay. I think there's better tools out there. Um, but somebody so, connecting in with you could have that chat and- 100%, and, we can point yeah. them. And, and, and we've got, you know, good insight into what tools for other sectors we would suggest as well. And as it's probably individuals who are going to be listening to this podcast, and if that individual was within local government, I did hear you say that they can, on an individual basis, connect in with civic excellence, and um, they would just then pay for the particular course that they took, or how does that work? Well, there's two things. They can certainly pay online. We also have a one-sheeter for each of our courses that they can give to their manager, like a one-sheet sort of, you know, I'd like to take this course. Oh. and. Generally, that would be my recommendation is take it to your supervisor, say this course is for local government employees. Yeah, I'd like to take it. And we we've had individuals that have been on our webinars or other tools, Susan, do that. Um, and we make it easy for them to do that because, you know, the question their manager is going to say is, well, what benefit will you get from taking this? And Absolutely. we can help them answer that, you know, yes, similar to yes. what the questions you're asking here. They well, should listen to your podcast is what they should do. <laughs> yeah. And it's part of the communication piece of, you know, then the manager understanding that the um, employee is interested in continued development and uh, can support in that. In Absolutely. That well. We've talked a whole lot about a whole number of different things. Are there things, is there anything that I haven't touched upon that would help our listeners? before we bring um, this to a close? No, I just, I, I guess part of it, Susan, is I just want to say how excited I am that you're doing this because you've got such uh, you know, you have the big brain, but also the, you really understand how things work in real life. And I think the only thing that I would suggest is that um, these shouldn't be, um, this is a tool that leads to a different outcome. The tool isn't the outcome itself. So really thinking about how would 
I individually or my workplace, what change would I like to see? If this was successful, what would be different? Well, people would be a little kinder to each other. People would um, maybe not marginalize that one different member of the team, you mm. know, however difficult yeah. they might feel. Um, it might be, um, we just, you know, because bluntly, even as I'm comfortable with conflict, I don't love bullying and harassment sessions. I'd rather turn that on its head and talk about how do we build awesome culture sessions. Oh, I agree. You know, not talking about what we want less of, but really reinforcing what we want more of. Obviously, there's boundaries. But um, quite often, these tools get used because one person, you know, they quite often the call comes because people are having low level friction that somebody is worried will grow into more conflict mm. and it's a perfect setting for that if people and covid we this is the hardest year most people have ever had in their lives yeah. you know yeah. you know knock on wood um but i um i think the difficulties um a lot of organizations are starting to say how do we come back stronger when we yeah. come back how do we not recreate the patterns that were unproductive susan because yes. we don't have to. Like if, if these two people haven't talked for, you know, or somebody was behaving in a certain way, we don't have to assume that will come back. Or, you know, this new normal in air quotes. Um, what if it could be different? And, and so I've got two organizations doing a, a workshop on, you know, using these tools to sort of say, let's let go of what wasn't working and rebuild. Um, let, let's just build better when we come back. Well, the um, fact they're even talking about the reality that, you know, it has been different over the last year and what's it going to be like to transition back and how do we make that a more positive process and result for everybody just <laughs> makes my heart swell. I, that's, just, I know. That's, that's wonderful to hear. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. And I, I think the question, the, the real question I hope your listeners are asking themselves is, are we being deliberate about building the type of organization, work group, team. And, you know, one of the things about this is even, you know, for folks is be the leader you wish you had. Like you don't have to wait till somebody gives you permission to impact the culture because culture is a combination of teeny tiny choices made on a daily basis, not necessarily a huge HR practice. And so these little choices we make, um, have a huge impact on whether our culture is one that we feel safe, supported, where we enjoy going to work. Um, not necessarily Barney, you know, in a purple suit, enjoy going to work, but where, where at least it doesn't cause us stress. Um, so well, those are, those are such, I love such talking about this and I just can't thank you enough for the opportunity. Well, and be before we close, I, you know, it's, it's also, you, you don't want something like this to be flavor of the month. Yep. Because, you know, over time, those really, um, detract from credibility. And, and so the purpose of why are we doing this and, and knowing yep. that going in um, are, uh, again, more good points. And, and thank you, of course, for your kind words. <laughs> um, I think we should probably bring this to a close. I don't want to take any more of your precious time. It has been just a delight, um, as always, when I'm working with you. I I know I found your insights and information helpful, and I know that the listeners will have as well. And so I'm just going to move to closing off our podcast uh, with huge appreciation to Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, we hope that you have found today's session interesting, uh, you, our listeners, and fun to listen to. 
And if you have, we, we hope that you'll consider actually signing up for the podcast series on your favorite social media platform and leaving a review so that others uh, might benefit from this, this series. If you wish to connect with either of us, uh, you'll find our contact information on the podcast description, and that is on your social media platform as well. I'll be back again next week with another interesting guest as we continue to explore the theme of recruitment. I hope you join me again as you guessed it. Dare to soar. Thanks again. It's time for us to fly. It's Susan and Tracy signing out. Thank you again, Tracy. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Bye for now. Well, we've reached our destination for today. Time to lower those wheels and prepare for landing. Thank you for joining me. If I said something that resonated with you, please subscribe to the podcast and to share it with others. It would be awesome if you also took the time to provide a review on whatever your favorite social media sites are. If you have a question or an area that you hope I'll cover in a future session, please send me a note either to my website, www.effectingchangefromwithin.com or to my email, susangenay at gmail.com. I look forward to our next time together. In the meantime, soar high. I believe you can. Susan signing off. Thanks again for joining me.